is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you can turn to Mark chapter 6, please. Or maybe scroll to Mark chapter 6, if that's your preference. We continue our series through the Gospel of Mark. Go to chapter 6, we'll start reading some verses at verse 6. Jesus sends out the twelve. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you. Uh, for this passage in Mark, and as we spend these moments looking at it, we pray, God, that you would speak to us, that uh, this passage would come alive to us, encourage and challenge us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In case you're looking at your watch thinking it's got a lot to fit in in 16 minutes. We will run over slightly because we did start a little bit later. So that gives me about an hour and a half, I reckon. So if you've got meat in the oven for dinner, bad luck. It will be well done. Okay, so Mark chapter 6, we've got Jesus sending out the 12 disciples. Now this is one of my I guess one of my favourite passages uh, in the Gospels, one of my go-to passages, I, I love the evangelistic feel of it, that edge to it where Jesus is, is sending them out. And um, it's not just that Jesus is now going from village to village, town to town, preaching the, that people should repent, and, uh, but it's, he's actually involving others in the mission as well. It's not just him. It's not just him that's intense on reaching people far from God. Actually, the disciples get to play too. They're not just observing anymore. They're not just watching what Jesus is doing, but now they get to do it. Now they get to, to preach and to heal as well. Now they're seeking to reach people who are far from God, who need to know about the love and the grace of God, who need freedom from demonic oppression and healing from physical pain. Now there are three things that Jesus tells them to do. I know there's some other instructions here about what to wear, what to take with them, i.e. not much. You know, expect God to provide your needs is the, is the summary. We haven't got time to get into all of that. 
But the three things that Jesus tells them to do are proclamation of the gospel and to preach the gospel, deliverance from demonic oppression, and to heal those who are sick. So Jesus sends them out. He commands them to go. That's the command of Jesus. He sends them. And he gives them authority. So not just does he send them, but he gives them the authority to go. If you like, the permission for them to do this. It's not just their idea. It's not just the disciples saying, hey, Lord, can we have a go now? But rather Jesus sends them the command, and he gives them the authority that they need, the permission that they need to go. So with the instruction to go comes the authority to carry out the instruction. So with commission comes permission. Right? With commission comes permission. Turn to the person next to you and say that, because that's an important phrase. With commission comes permission. Now, we're going to look at a variety of of parts in this uh, account in a moment. But I noticed one thing in a passage this week that I've never seen in it before. Do you find that with Scripture sometimes? You're reading it here. I've read this passage a thousand times. I've never seen that before. That happened to me this week as I was reading this, as I was studying and praying and thinking about this morning. I'd always imagined that Jesus sending out the disciples was one big event. It's a one-off thing, if you like. And indeed, the accounts in Matthew and Luke do suggest that. But for Mark, the phrase is a bit different. Do you notice it here? Maybe maybe it sprung out to you, or maybe you've skipped it as well, like I've done clearly countless times. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over impure spirits. This seems to imply it wasn't just a one-off event. It wasn't just a a one-off thing where Jesus got the disciples in, gave them instructions, sent them out, and that was it. But rather, it was something he continued to do. I've never seen that before. But it says, Mark says that Jesus began to send them out. The implication being it wasn't just a one-off event that was never repeated, but rather he began to do this, and this indeed was then his model going forward. I'd never seen that before. But it's interesting that Mark puts it like this, because again, the implication for us is that what Jesus began to do then, he is still doing today. He began to send his disciples out then and he is still sending his disciples out today. Jesus sent them with clear instructions as we said not to take a whole bunch of stuff with them and for somebody who never manages to pack lightly like me that would be tricky (laughs) but rather to rely on God and his provision as they went. So to start with, Jesus calls them together. That's our first point, calling together. He calls the disciples together to be together, or to be more more accurately, really to be with him. 
to himself. And this was the, him shaping their lives. It was him inputting them. He was calling them to himself in order that they got to see what he, what he was doing and that he could shape their lives, that he could train them and indeed disciple them. Clues in the name, isn't it? That's what Jesus had been doing. They had been called to be with Jesus. You see, being with Jesus will change your life. In Acts chapter 4, when we read about Peter and John, we're told this, when, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had, here's the phrase, been with Jesus. Being with Jesus will change your life. Being with Jesus will change you. Being with Jesus will mark you. Being with Jesus will make you more like him. And so being with Jesus is the very important starting point. We must not miss it. That's where it begins. If you miss that and jump straight to the being sent out, you miss the very roots of the power and authority that disciples went in. So Jesus calls them together. Secondly, he sends them with authority. So Mark, in his usual brief to the point style, says, and he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. Luke, who likes words, gives us a little bit more detail. He called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So Jesus calls the 12 and gives them, like we said, the power and the authority that they need. The, authority, the power is the power of God, not their power. Let's be clear, this is God's power. And the authority is the right and permission to use that power. So he commissions them. Do you remember what we said? With commission comes permission. Jesus commissions them, commands them to go, and gives them permission to use that power, the authority to do it. We need to understand, friends, this is the power of God. It's not their own power, this is God's power. And in case you're wondering what sort of power that is, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So if you're trying to think on a scale, you know, 0 to 100, for example, how powerful is this power? Well, we're talking somewhere past the 100 mark. This is the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. Actually, you're not sure about that. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 1. That power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. It's the same power. And you know what? Jesus began to send his disciples out then. He continues to send them out today. That's you and me. And it's the same power he gives us. If you think, oh, I don't feel very powerful. It's not about how powerful you feel. It's about how powerful he is. Amen? And the good news is that Jesus gives them the authority to use that power. 
Having the power is one thing. Having the authority to use it is something completely different. But it's okay. The disciples are commissioned by Jesus. And with commission comes permission. So now the disciples can operate in the same way that Jesus has been operating. So let's look at what they were sent out to do. They were sent to preach. Preach that people should repent. There's an invitation to turn away from other things and to follow Jesus. Luke describes the 12 being sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God, that, that rule and reign of God. It's not like an earthly kingdom that is bound by geographic boundaries where you could draw a map and go, well, that's where the kingdom of so-and-so is. No, the kingdom of God is a dynamic reign or kingly rule of God and therefore the sphere in which that rule is experienced. That's how George Eldon Ladd puts it in his theology of the New Testament. So the kingdom of God is where God reigns. Wherever God reigns, that's where the kingdom of God is. So, in the planting of churches, we, we advance the kingdom of God. In the proclamation of the gospel, we advance the kingdom of God. In, in caring for the poor and disadvantaged, we advance the kingdom of God. In, in standing for justice and truth, we advance the kingdom of God. As we tell people about Jesus, as we preach the gospel, we advance the kingdom of God. And the disciples go out and say, hey, it's near. This kingdom is near. You can experience the rule and reign of God in your life. And because it's near, people can repent, turn from previous way of life and follow Jesus. The disciples are sent out to preach this, to proclaim it, to explain it and to call people to follow him. That's what they're doing. But they weren't just sent out to speak words. They were also sent out to deliver. And yes, there were powerful words they were speaking. But there's also power to set people free, to deliver. Mark says that Jesus gave them authority over impure spirits. And he notes that they drove out many demons. Now, we don't talk much about demons I'm not sure I can remember the last time I stood on this stage and talked about demons. It's not a common subject for us. But maybe we should. Because it's in the book. Now, I'm not suggesting for one moment that demons and the demonic should become our focus. It absolutely should not. However, even a cursory reading of the Gospels will show you that the Jesus and the disciples were often dealing with demonic oppression. They were often dealing with demons. They were often setting people free, so much so that Jesus commands them, sends them out to do that. It was part of Gospel ministry for them. I wonder if this is something that maybe we have lost. It doesn't seem that Jesus and the disciples went looking for it. But certainly when they encountered it, 
and they encountered people being oppressed by demons, they dealt with it there and then in a moment. When Jesus discerned that an individual was troubled by an evil spirit, he was not afraid to command it to go. And he taught his disciples to do exactly the same thing. So, like I said, I think this is probably something that we've lost. This is not a common talk in church life in this country at the moment. Now, I don't believe we should go looking for demons. I don't believe we should start looking for demonic activity around every corner. But I do think that when we encounter it, we should not be afraid to deal with it because that's what Jesus did. And that's what he commanded his disciples to do and therefore us to do. I think we need to be careful in our choice of language. I don't like the, the description of people being possessed. I think being afflicted is a far better word to use. It's a word the Bible uses in, in Acts 5, for example. But the truth is that even in our day, even in our modern Western world, people can be and indeed are afflicted, troubled by evil spirits. Now, if I was preaching this message in another country, maybe in an African nation, the congregation would be sitting there going, yeah, obviously, because it is so much more of their culture. It is not unusual for them to see people affected by the demonic, by evil spirits, and to deal with it. That is very much part of normal Christianity for them. It isn't so much part of normal Christianity for us. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's the fact that the evil spirits are somehow more active in African nations, for example, than here. I don't think it's the fact that, you know, Satan thinks, oh, well, I'm going to operate there, but I'll leave the West alone. I think it's just that they've got their eyes open to it and we haven't. I've got friends who are leaders in different African nations and for them this is part of everyday gospel ministry. They've got their eyes open to it in a way that I don't think we have. Perhaps the devil's greatest achievement in the West in our time is to mostly persuade people that he doesn't really exist and neither do evil spirits. So, setting people free from demonic oppression, to use another phrase the Bible uses, should absolutely be part of our gospel ministry. Absolutely part of everyday Christianity and church life. So friends, let's not go sort of looking for it, but let's be open to God leading us to minister in such a way that sees people set free. So often we can see people bound by particular uh, trouble, be it bound in sin or being other things that are going on in their life, and we can pray and pray and pray, and they say, oh, it doesn't seem to be healed or, or, or sorted out, or there doesn't seem a breakthrough there. Maybe, maybe there's demonic activity that we need to set people free from. I think probably it's something we need to come back to, we need to relearn. We need to train people in. 
You know, I remember as a, not a new Christian, but as it, uh, uh, firstly being in a charismatic church in my, in my 20s, this was something we learned stuff about. We learned how to do that. It's not something we talk about much these days, is it? I think we probably should. So they're sent to preach. They're sent to set people free. They're also sent to heal. Healing is also part of New Testament gospel ministry. Mark tells us they anointed people with oil. Luke just says that they were healing people everywhere. I love the phrase. Luke just says, they're healing people everywhere. And healing is, again, is a sign of the kingdom of God. It's a sign that God's kingdom has broken into our earthly world and God's power is at work. Is also a sign and demonstration of God's love, his mercy, and his grace. It's an illustration, it's a sign of his kindness. Jesus was healing people all over the place, to use Luke's sort of phrase there. Why? Yes, because he wanted to see people set free of pain and sickness, but also to demonstrate that the kingdom of God had come and that God's rule and reign had come. A couple of weeks ago, Lucy spoke about Jesus healing both the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus' daughter. If you missed her preach, I'd encourage you to catch up with it online. But in both accounts, you can see the mercy and the love of Jesus. His tender-hearted care and compassion. So, just to be clear, when we pray for someone to be healed, we're not just praying and hoping they might be healed. The disciples are instructed to heal the sick, not just to pray for them. It's not about your power. It's about his power. It's about his work. So you don't have any power. Neither do I. It's about his power. The only power we have is what he gives us. It's not something that we have to somehow work up. It's the power of God at work through you. And what that means is it's him doing the healing. Yes, he uses you as his arms and his legs. He uses you to pray prayers of faith and healing over people, but it's him that's doing it. It's Jesus that's at work. Now, one way that we pray for the sick is to anoint them with oil. We've got accounts of that in, in Scripture. We've got all sorts of different methods of, of healing. You look at different things that Jesus did. We've got anything from you know spitting on people. I, I don't think we should do that one. You know, making sort of mud and putting it on people's eyes. We've got commands and just re releasing healing in their voice. We've got examples here of anointing with oil. There are different methods, but one God. Different ways of doing it, but Jesus is still the one at work. So anointing with oil, as we've got an example here, Mark tells us that the disciples drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. 
Oil is often used as a, as a sign of the Holy Spirit's presence. A sign of God being at work. It's not there's anything somehow clever about the oil. It's a sign of God being at work. And I know, I know that not everyone we pray for to be healed is healed. But listen, I want to suggest if we prayed for more sick people, we would see more sick people healed. Do you not agree? And I think the more we prayed for sick people, the, the better we get at it as well. The more we'd understand how God wanted to, to use us. So in a moment, we are going to pray for the sick and I have got some oil and we are going to anoint with oil and pray for you if you are sick this morning. But let's wrap up. The commission the disciples had was pretty clear. And like we've said all the way throughout, our commission is no different. Jesus sends us out to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to set the oppressed free. You and I are as much sent as the 12 were. Sometimes we can read scripture and think, oh, it's just for them. It's, it's okay. It's just what he wanted them to do. It's not about me. No, no, no. Jesus began to send the disciples out and he's still doing it today. You and I are as much sent with as much authority and power as they were. So the question as we begin to close is this. How are you getting on? How are you getting on in telling people about Jesus? How are you getting on in praying for the sick? How are you doing in setting people free? Like I said, we're going to pray in a moment, but I don't think that praying for sick people is just a church meeting activity. The disciples were sent out into the villages and towns to preach the gospel, heal the sick, sick set people free. Not to call them to a meeting to have some worship songs to start with and then get the oil out. This was sent out into everyday life. And as they encountered sick people, to, to pray, to heal, and see people set free. Friends, it's not just about a church meeting. This is a good context to pray for people. We'll do that in a moment. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But it's also a good context to learn. To practice, if you like, before you pray for your next door neighbour or your friend or whoever it might be that is sick and needs healing. What we learn in church, we should take on the road. What we learn within these four walls should be taken outside these four walls. That's what Jesus would want for us. So yes, we can pray for the sick in church. But yes, we should pray for the sick who aren't in church. Amen? Jesus sends us to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to set people free. Let's stand together. Could a band come up, please?
So I'm going to pray, and now I'm going to ask Naomi and the band to lead us in a song of worship. And as they play and lead us in worship, if you are sick this morning, we would love to pray for you. So as we sing, as we worship, I'd like you to invite you to come to the front and we'll get others to gather around and pray. Is that okay? So if you are sick, if you are in pain, this morning we would love to pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you for the instructions that we read in Scripture. And Lord, we want to be obedient to your commands as much as the early disciples were. And we thank you that with commission comes permission. And we pray that we would know a fresh encounter with the power of God in our lives in order that we might step out and preach and talk about the gospel, heal the sick and set people free. We pray, Lord, that we might see that. We might see you at work and you glorified as a result. So we pray, Lord, even this week, God, I ask that each of us would take some bold steps forward in these things. Have conversations we maybe haven't had before to offer to pray when we haven't done so before. Give us boldness, we pray. Give us courage to step out. That we might see you at work. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship. And if you're sick this morning, if you'd like us to pray for you, come to the front and we would love to do that. Okay? Sunday morning.